Well, hello, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations. And um, we have some very erudite, capable people in the studio this morning, this afternoon, who are um, going to help us understand um, some news that came out. It came out a couple times, actually, and it, it's, it, in a way it's nothing really, really new, but it, it was just expressed in a fairly dire way by a study that just came out that says that in the rankings of states, Louisiana is dead last um, in the economy, in the economic category. And I, first of all, don't totally trust all these rankings because they rank according to certain criteria. And so we may excel in some criteria that are not necessarily important to this particular ranking um, uh, and do better in others. Nonetheless, that's a pretty bad characterization of our state, and I want to understand more about it. So I have with me Dr. Lane from UNO, who is head of the um, Finance and Economic Development Division. And I want you to pronounce your name so I don't get it wrong. Arlanda Williams. And Arlanda is head of the Workforce um, Development Program, Institutional Advancement, Advancement, and um, she has some other responsibilities too. But um, those are the ones that are germane to today's discussion. And, and uh, uh, I, you know, I, I brought I brought her in because I think that um, the issue for us in terms of how we're actually going to really compete um, economically has to do with our youth and whether they have the skills and the and the capacity to address the way our economy is changing, which is. It's as dramatic, if not more dramatic, than the changes that happened with the Industrial Revolution. And I don't think one of the one of the reasons why a guy like Trump can slip into the White House is because nobody is really acknowledging how dramatic these changes are and actually dealing with them head on. Unless somebody tells me that someone's doing something I don't know about. So Dr. Lane, uh, what first of all do they mean when they say that we have the worst economy in the country? Well, there's a number of characteristics that, that, that matter. I mean, the Bureau of uh, Economic Analysis has pointed out that we are one of only three states in the union that have a negative economic growth rate over the last year. That uh, is, in general, what we call the, the GDP, gross domestic product, which is all the things that we produce in the economy. Uh, and the, in the United States is, overall has been doing pretty very strong, but us in Kansas and Connecticut all have negative growth rates, which is I was actually remarkable. shocked to see Connecticut in that list because as a former New Yorker, we were always looking over our shoulder at Connecticut because right. they were always stealing our business out of New York. Sure. And I'm saying, wait, Connecticut? What's that all about? Well, and again, those are those. It's hard to put, find a category that all three of those states would fit in because they're very different right. type of states. So each one has its own unique characteristics, um, you know. But but uh, but the Louisiana in general and, and the New Orleans metropolitan area um, has really been uh, this economy has really been very stagnant for for quite a quite a while. Uh, in the state as a whole, and a large large part of that is due to the um, you know the problem with the oil prices when they went down after the BP oil spill and the other things um, we've we've never quite recovered from that the oil prices are back up 
you know, above uh, 60, hit $70 a barrel. But they really need to get back up to 80 before you're going to see any any real positive growth in that sector of the economy. And that's and if you look at the each of the sectors where the growth has been, and where the losses have been, what we call the mining sector, which is where oil falls in the in the way economists measure things, has been one of the big losses, and it's taken a lot of other things with it. Uh, it's uh, certainly impacted the uh, the state budgets and everything of that sort. But but there's lots of other areas where, where the U.S., the Louisiana, has not been very strong. It says that we have the 47th lowest percentage of jobs in the high-tech industry. What fascinates me about that fact is how much you hear from the people in economic development in New Orleans about how we're attracting all these high-tech companies and people, and where are they? Well, and again, we've, we've seen some growth uh, in since from 2004 to 2017 in computers and related activities. We've increased our employment from almost 2,000 to almost 10,000, which is substantially more. The nation as a whole has basically doubled those sectors as a 50% increase. We've had a 400% increase. Um, and in Louisiana, but we're still small. In, in software and related activities, uh, our employment, which is very small. It's gone from 150 to 560. But over a 15-year period, that's still a high, higher growth rate, much higher than the rest of the country. So, so we are seeing some growth in those sectors. What's holding us back from doing better? Well, I think there's a couple, a couple of things, uh, one of which is when, if you think of from an economic development point, point of view, biz, when do, where do businesses want to go to start new businesses? building a plant, things of that sort. And and certainly education is one of the biggest ones. Uh, and, and as you think, of course, the statewide, our education system is not known as one of the strongest at the, at the K through 12 level. Uh, locally, we've had a lot of progress in the Orleans Parish that have been really bad, has gotten much better with the, with the charter schools and stuff. Uh, it's still not spectacular. They have some really good schools. Uh, and, you know, we've been defunding higher education uh, you know, tremendously. Uh, that's happening nationally quite a bit, but it's been much more severe. Um, I know at UNO, and I'm sure you can tell me that Delgado, we've had 17 budget cuts in the last eight years or something like that. That's 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 really uh, why I wanted to have you all on the show in Orlando. I want to hear from you because I know Delgado has an incredible reputation for turning out skilled uh, workforce in a number of different categories that are relevant to the jobs that we have available in the state. Um, and I'm vaguely, only superficially familiar with your uh, Jumpstart um, initiative, the, your part in that, and the, the CTE, and I, I couldn't tell you what CTE stands for, but I know it's essentially um, a, a certification program that uh, works with um, youth in high schools, first of all, in getting them to specialize on certain tracks that do have job opportunities. And many of these students are actually, um, I don't know what the right, right word is, but they're also studying at Delgado, even as they're still in high school. I want to know more about that. So you're speaking to our dual enrollment program, and the CTE is a Certificate in Technical Education. Technical, um, okay. mm -hmm. And we have been uh, doing a big push. Our current Vice Chancellor of Student Services, Dr. Arnell Colsey, has definitely amped up the uh, push for dual enrollment. Our, our Chancellor, 
as well has, has put that as a part of our 2020 goals to increase dual enrollment. And then we're going to step out in the department that I lead, uh, workforce development, because we are opening a new site um, in Avondale. And so part of the hope there is also to increase early college high school, which they can start at ninth grade and then go all the way through high school and then graduate from college um, with a two-year, an associate's degree uh, from Delgado at the same time that they're graduating from high school. So it is going to be in uh, specific programs to start just as a pilot program so that we can introduce the non-traditional students. And I think the issue when we talk about education is we were all groomed to go to a four-year university. And then when you looked at the community and technical college, it was looked at as Voltec, and it was they, and it carried a, neg a negative stigma to it. And I think the problem has become when people don't find a trade and we're not educating them, that's when you see drops in, in, in employment. And also what we do not look at is not just unemployment, but under employment. Right. And so when we put all of those numbers together, if we sit back and look at the community and technical uh, side of education and encourage those students because you can put them on a career path in ninth grade starts high school. If we start then, those students that would normally go to on the path to a four-year university would have an option to get out of school in a nice in, and earn a nice wage to live, right? Because it's all about a virtual infrastructure, community, uh, community development, economic development, and educational development in the state. That is what will take us out of being 49th in everything because that's that's a part of our problem. And, and it's to remove the stigma that it's okay to get a two-year degree or a certificate in um and, and the truth is, uh, as I understand, that a lot of kids go to Delgado in the first two years um, partially for economic reasons, and then if they want to and they see how a four-year degree will benefit their career interests, they can go on. Yes. I know yeah. a lot of kids who went to Delgado and, and then go to transfer. UNO. Right. No, yeah. we have, uh, the College of Business has a two-plus-two yes. relationship with Delgado. If, you, if they will yes. follow the pattern, they won't, lose a, they won't lose a credit going from there into our business school. So right. they, could, they, they it's a smooth ride from right. one to the other, and then they can finish another two years. Yeah. It's a great relationship between the two. And then um, another great point is the uh, past president of uh, UNO, Dr. Peter Foss, is now the interim vice chancellor of academic affairs at Delgado. So definitely there's a push uh, to make sure that we're creating that pathway. And we've been working together as well with DXC. You mentioned the technology programs that's coming in. So Delgado has been working with DXC on the two-year side. DXC? It's a... Uh, it's a, it's a, I mean, we're, we're, I'm working with them as well on for the four-year right. degree for the College of Business degree. It's it's a, a company that just recently came in and, yeah. and took it over a big building down on Poydras Street. Oh, yeah, oh, they're oh, going to be bringing right, in 2,000 right. jobs. I heard about And they're, they're, they're presented as an, uh, kind of an IT technical right. type of company. But really what they do is they interface between technology and businesses. So they So a lot of – it's not just all programmers. Correct. But they need a lot of people. They're interested in my accounting and finance majors – uh, as well as, as the uh, IT and computer science and programmers. Uh, so they do a lot of things. And mm -hmm. so the conversation is that we would have the two-year program at, at Delgado that would send send these people job ready, but also have an opportunity for them to go on to 
UNO to further that education if they wanted the actual four-year degree. Another program that was just started was our um, ASNBN uh, nursing program, which starts at Delgado, and it gives you direct access to LSU. So the partnerships between the two- and four-year colleges, I think, are going to be very detrimental to the growth and to the economic growth in the city of New Orleans and the surrounding region. Helpful to it. Um, uh, I can't tell you how many, um, uh, you know, I'm of, of an age where I wind up in doctor's offices and hospitals on occasion. I cannot tell you how many people, skilled level people, whether they're technicians doing the x-rays or they're um, nurses doing the labs or are graduates from Delgado. I always ask, I, I'm, I'm always curious about people, so I want to know where did you go to school, what did you study, and then I come across people who've been to Delgado. And then I've had interns myself from the high school programs who have made that uh, jump from Delgado to. Um, so, uh, uh, what are the, some of the kinds of jobs that um, we need more of our youth to take an interest in and to pursue? the programming that you offer and that you offer? I would say um, we need to start at the nursing um, because if we healthcare educate... Healthcare is one of the top is, growth industries in the country. Exactly. Yep. And so you can get an ASNRN degree from Delgado. That starts you off with a good job, and then you can go for the, two, the, the next two years to go and get the BN for, you know, in your or in, and then grow from there. I met a young lady, and we both were being awarded, and she told her story, and it was the story of a single parent who started at Delgado, got a two-year degree in nursing, went on to get her four-year degree, and then went further, and is now, like, one of the only black women, uh, I think she's a nurse anesthetic, from this area that specializes in OBGYN. And she started at Delgado in yeah. this in this region. I'm talking a Terrebonne, Lafourche, Arlene, St. Charles, perhaps the southern region. So she started right at Delgado. So if we could get those types of messages out, um, we spoke earlier about the computer sciences and working with UNO to our students trained to go off into their area. Technology, you are correct, is growing. We have to identify the programs that we can offer to place these students so that these students can get jobs. Right now we're working with Cisco, so we're training on the workforce side in computer programming, and they're not necessarily graduating with uh, AS or CTE, but they're graduating with an industry-based credential that, these, that some of these companies are looking for. And so the other uh, thing that we've identified definitely on the workforce side, simply because we're opening that new um, site, we have to start looking at our um, welders and our pipe fitters because so earlier we, we talked it's about probably oil. probably <laughs> a, a, a demographic issue where some of the welders who've been there forever are retiring. That's exactly what's going on. Yeah. So And there's no attrition. Um, there's no, like, process to go in and really put these people back to work. So if we're training them now and then we can put them in an ascension-type pool, well, they can get a job to go up. We also have a great line workers program. So they come to us for 16 weeks, and I'm proud to say that we just finished our first cohort. 16 students, 15 were placed on jobs. And so those wow. are utility workers. This is the city of New Orleans. We are in the southern region where hurricanes come. So you need more line workers than ever. And then working not just with um, 
energy and, and the rest, but also working with some of like the IBEWs who could put these students in apprenticeship programs and then give them a pathway to work. There's a choice there because we can offer a program that can give you credit from from the non-credit side to the credit to expand you to get a certificate or to go into the associate's degree and then later on feed into the four-year university. Let me hear um, now a little bit more about um, um, the kind of uh, jobs that you're training kids for coming out of your program, too. Well, and, and again, I, I do want to say that I do not believe that every person needs to get a four-year degree. That is, Correct. And, and, and there should be no, I mean, we all need uh, plumbers. That's becoming and, even more and more true today, right, it seems right. like. We need plumbers and, and HVAC and all these other, uh, you know, more technical skills that don't require a four-year degree. Now, obviously, I focus on that. In fact, I, I mostly go beyond that. My, my primary focus is on master's degree. I run two master's degree programs, one in healthcare management. I'm actually a healthcare economist is my, my profession. And secondly, we, we just started a master's program in finance. And I also run a Ph.D. program in financial economics. So, you know, we want – I think people need education, and I think a lot of them can get it in a two-year degree. Certainly uh, nursing is a big area. I can guarantee you I'm on the board of a local hospital – and I know what we're looking for in terms of workforce needs at, 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 in the hospitals and in the other healthcare area. But, but then a lot of them do need four-year four degrees, and, and that's where we can take over. And furthermore, a lot of them, a lot of people today, there's a lot of managerial type of jobs that pretty much need a master's degree. My healthcare management job, if you want to be a, 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 even an inter-level management at a hospital, you got to have a master's degree these days. And okay. so, but not everybody needs that. But we need to offer, have those offerings and get those people into the, into the area where they can find what they want to do and be successful at it. Because, again, um, let's go to the kind of jobs that we need to make sure our kids are prepared for that will help us attract the companies that will make right. a commitment here. And um, the same article that was um, uh, talking about uh, the rankings that don't look so promising for us, they were talking about how too many cities are uh, and, and regions really are um, chasing companies with tax incentives that ultimately kind of crater the economics of a state and are not necessarily beneficial. They were particularly critical of Detroit for uh, um, a program recently that they were uh, chasing. But so what kind of um, what kind of job training do we need to make sure that we are an attractive uh, place for the kinds of companies that are starting up and growing today? Well, again, and we are in an information economy. So it turns out that even people working on assembly lines need to be able to work on program computers, things like that. So the, the, the needs of people... There's very little jobs available for somebody with just a high school education anymore. Correct. I mean, and, and those are all pretty – there's plenty of those people out there, especially in the New Orleans area, and, and or even – they don't even get that. And, and, and those low-wage jobs, they get stuck in because there's so many of them. If you're going to get out of that, that low-wage thing, you've got to have some education. doesn't have to be a college degree. That's, that's important for many people, but at least a two-year degree is pretty much almost a necessity to do to get a good job these days. What, what percentage, I don't know if either one of you know this statistic, uh, and I don't, so that's why I'm asking, um, what percentage of youth coming out of um, our high schools here in New Orleans today know about the educational opportunities and the job opportunities that they could benefit from? In other words... 
are our career counselors and our teachers and our parents informed enough about the potential of, of, their, of their kids? <laughs> You'll you listen to me. So uh, Delgado does a major outreach every year, Delgado Day, where we bring in high school students. Like this past uh, semester, we had about 700-plus students to come out and see, you know, our barbering. That's a substantial outreach. It is a, a, a mm -hmm. major, um, our barbering, uh, cosmetology, um, our mechanic, and um, welding um, departments actually did a display and several others did a display of the things that we have to offer and the students were able to go to the different um, stations get information and go God, that was 750 that's not nearly as many but we do this constantly and I think on the on the side and, and um, I'm pretty sure you can uh, you could agree with me the recruiting efforts are high in both uh, the four-year university and the two-year universities two-year colleges I feel that uh, Delgado goes after these students to show them the, that you, if you're not ready to go for it to a four-year college, we have something else to offer you. The problem is, in my opinion only, to get the parents to believe, yeah, it's okay. You don't have to go and spend the thousands of dollars if little Johnny or little Susie wants to come and get a degree that's going to put some money in their pocket. And so, again, on our end, it goes to changing the stigma of the community and technical college. I, I feel that recruiting efforts are there, and they're, and they're there substantially. To give you an actual number or a percentage, I really couldn't do that at this time. I, I haven't seen those numbers either. but I, And I know that you know, most people coming out of high school don't have a clue what they want to do. Uh, but the only way to find out it is, again, to go to this. We have a get-to-know-you-and-o, same right. type of thing, where they can go and, and see a bunch of different things and get some information on them and then start taking some classes, and you find out whether you like that or not. And, I mean, just even at the four years colleges, very few people actually graduate in the major they start out in. Uh, so uh, but that's okay. And, it, and, and in fact, it, it doesn't really matter in many ways, unless you want to be an engineer or accountant. There's somewhere you've got to have specific training. But most people, a college degree prepares them for most of the jobs in business. Uh, and, 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 you, and I tell students they need to find something that they like doing. Because if you like doing it, they'll be better at it. I, I've heard that a lot. <clears throat> the only thing I wanted to say in, in relation to what you just said is that um, I also wish that there was required business management courses at the high school level because the one thing I regret never having studied, and I can tell you as someone who's trying to run what I call a very nonprofit, I would have benefited from having business right. management training. But um, I want to ask you how badly the possible cuts in higher ed that keep coming down year after year out of Baton Rouge are hurting exactly what we're talking about. If we want to be a competitive economy and we have to educate our kids so that we have the workforce that can do the kinds of jobs that are coming out in this economy, um, we can't afford these cuts. And I, I'm going to take a moment here because I, I don't want to put this on you guys, but um, I got I get mail from Julie Schwam Harris, who's with the IWO primarily. She lobbies up there in Baton Rouge, and she was, I have to read her statement because it, it really, I, I agree with it so much. 
It says, friends, stem your frustration into action, please. Dear friends, I am sick at heart and sick to my stomach for many reasons. One of them, the failure to pass a tax bill to fund the bipartisan compromise budget bill supported by a large majority of Senate and House members. They almost had the House votes to pass. They might have prevailed if the leadership, Taylor, Barras, Lance, Harris, Cameron Henry and Alan Seabog, I think you pronounce his name, I don't know, had not let them run out the clock. These guys, to me, are enemies of the people of this state. If they can't pass a little sales tax, not increase, just keeping it so that we don't have to deprive our higher education programs in this state. Your thoughts? Well, again, we've gone this for several years where our problem is we have a, a, a structural deficit of over a billion dollars in our budget, in our state budget, uh, because the, even the sales tax, was, which we passed it with a year ago, is a temporary tax. That's the fiscal cliff we're talking about. Well, they're talking about doing some more temporary stuff. They've had a year to look at it and to say, you know, and I would, I would say to the, and I tend to be fairly conservative myself, I'd say to the, you know, the, the Tea Party types, the conservative types, if you really believe that we don't have we don't. We're spending too much money. Tell me where you want to cut, but you. They won't. I can't get them to do that. You know. But they. They. They say we don't need more taxes, but they're not willing to make the cuts that they need and, and fess up to what what it is. And, and, and so and, they need to do one or the other: either fund fund the programs or be specific. We're going to cut this one because I don't think this one's worthwhile. I don't think colleges are worthwhile. I don't think the Medicaid program is worthwhile. And 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 they, and they won't do that. So that they do end up doing nothing. And we're and we're in. The, and that's one of the things that you talk about why people don't come to Louisiana is businesses need certainty. And with the chaos that we have in our, in our state government for the last few years, you know, businesses don't they, they don't, they like lower taxes rather than high taxes, but they need more certainty, and we have nothing but uncertainty in Louisiana. Your thoughts? Nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I agree one thing majorly, that we cannot attract the businesses and the jobs that we want to because the first thing that they look for it's your school system. If we keep challenging that and challenging the, the growth of higher ed and workforce development, economic development, we will not attract those businesses that they're looking for. I just feel that the areas that we are cutting, I, I'm with you, the legislature needs, needs to come together, and it's no longer about party. It should be about the people and what they're asking. I watched it last night, and I'll tell you, it was to my stomach. It was a hurting thing to yeah. see what happened happen because I, I felt like we were right there and it was going to be a bipartisan approach that would have saved they us. They were close. They were from, so they close. They were very close, seven votes, from making, from to come back and try to make that right. You know, it's a difficult time. Now people's lives are, are, are going to be affected by this, not just the children that are the students and the population that we serve, but those people that are in front of them we have an uncertainty right now before all of us in higher education that needs to be put aside. We cannot, in order for us to do our job and in order for them and to make it easier for them to do their job to recruit people to come here, we have to educate people. We, when we're cutting education, that is a problem. That is a problem. And not just in education was cut I, yesterday. I, I, just, I, I honestly, I just don't get it. If you are the most conservative 
person on the spectrum, you would think that the thing you want to do is make sure that you are educating a workforce to attract business. What is liberal about that? I don't, I don't understand the labels anymore. To me, that's a conservative position because if you educate kids and they have job opportunities, you're affecting all the things that some of the ultra-conservatives don't like. You don't like crime? Educate your kids. Well, and again, it comes you, you, back to politics is that, you know, as we know, the state budget in Louisiana has big hunks of it that are protected either by the Constitution or by statute. Well, now, the constitutional ones are hard to fix. But if you really believe that you're tired of cutting higher ed and health care, which is the only two areas that is not protected, then you then the, then the legislatures need to come out. That, how did that happen? Well, because everybody protected all the other stuff, and this was, this was what was left what, over. What, how did that, but how did that happen? Well, how, how, that's it, insane. Well, it's, a, it's just it's, it's special interest groups get in there and say, you know, it, you think that uh, the lobbyists, the, 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 the lo- Well, it's not just the lobbyists; it's the people that that are affected by it. You know, I'm a special interest group for higher ed. Uh, right, and Correct. so you know, we always advocate for that, and also, obviously, for uh, I'm also in healthcare as well. But, uh, but again, we just haven't been as effective in doing it. But the point is, if the leg- if they believe that we're tired of just cutting those two, then the legislature should put forth a constitutional amendment to unprotect some of those other areas, so they can spread it around. If you really want to cut stuff, or de- by statute, the things that are protected by statute, they have the control of changing those statutes, but they don't have the guts to do that. I think it's worse than not have the guts. I, 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 I try, I really try to understand these people who are more attached to uh, morally empty dogma rather than doing what really would help our economy grow. So where is the change point? What will it take to break this? Now, I have to say, um, one of the things I noticed in the news yesterday is that there were a couple of very conservative legislators from around the country who have taken positions in favor of, for example, health care, right, and, 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 and Medicaid expansion, right, In uh, despite their quote, profile as conservative. Why? Because the people in their districts are making a lot of noise, and we're not making enough noise. So I think it's not just these bad guys. By the way, I'm just going to repeat their names. I just because what we need you to do, folks out there, is we need you to call and and communicate with these people. And I see a call coming in. I think, okay. So, all right. Here are the people again. Taylor Barras, B-A-R-R-A-S, Lance Harris, Cameron. Henry, if he's related to Bubba Henry, shame on him, aided by Alan Seabach. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, S-E-A-B-A-U-G-H. They need to hear from you all. They need to get a phone call. They need to get an email. They need to get a communication from you because that is, I think, the only way ultimately we're going to move the needle, and I'm very worried about it. So let me go to this in closing. Is that somebody I should... Pick up on. Hello. Hold on. Hello. Yes. Yes, sir. Who's calling? Uh, my name is Shane. Okay, Shane. What's up? Hey, I was calling because uh, I wanted to say something about the, the educational. Louisiana is last in education in the country, last in edu- economic growth, and historically, 
I've seen Louisiana uh, uh, try to invest in education. And what I've noticed that happens is that when money is allocated towards education and higher learning, the institutions themselves tend to change their uh, um, their spending practices or, the, or, or their tuition rates. They tend, like, if the, if the state starts a program to try to help students and put more actual money in the students' pockets, the institutions themselves go up in their rates and they eat up that excess. And I think we've gotten to a point where the institutions are eating up so much of the excess and we're not getting the results that access and what's got to happen is the state has to correct itself and people are going to be hurt by this correction but the only thing that can correct it ultimately i believe is that they get some kind of liaison between the students the actual students and these institutions the institution that does a great job at this is the uh, uh military with the gi bill the the, the actual uh soldiers they get the actual money in their hands and the actual help in trying to pursue a degree. Whereas an actual uh, a regular student, if the federal government or the state government allocate more resources to me, then LSU going to go up on their tuition or go up on their books or go up on their room and board to eat up that access. And, and I just wanted to make that point. I, I appreciate that. Um, I, I'm not totally in agreement with whether the institutions kind of what you're saying is that it goes into overhead instead of into the students. But um, and, and that may be true to some extent because I know that it's been sh- shown that in some places the uh, cost of providing education is higher than in other places where they have even better education. But I think the, uh, it was a very interesting point about the GI Bill. Um, that's kind of what the TOPS program is, though, isn't it, folks? No, that's not the way that works. Well, I mean, the TOPS program is given to the student. That's what I they mean. they can choose where to do it, like the right. GI Bill. Right. Yes. Yeah, you're right on that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and um, we so ought to look into more programs like that that actually have an oversight that put money into the student's hands. But some kind of way these, these institutions, they go up, you end up paying three, $400 for a book and and, and you can't find no back door to get the book or borrow a book from another student. Y'all go have on the book because they, they make you have to buy the software that goes along with the book. It's just a game, in other words, and it's yeah. not about education. I, I hear you. Thank you so much for your comments, really. And um, Have a good day. You too. What I, what I, what I want to um, come back to, though, is, um, again, this, this notion of putting the money directly into the students' um, uh, uh, pockets not the right word, but enabling a student to go to school. But um, that's what the TOPS program is. Now tell me I'm wrong. Isn't TOPS one of the programs that they are cut. looking to cut? Well, in, in the current it, it, Rather than increase they're taxes? They're only going to fund it at 70%. Yeah. So that cuts out, you know, again, that's counterproductive. Counterproductive. I think it's just plain ignorance on the part of these legislators. And unfortunately, people just don't pay close enough attention to the facts. It's like what's going on at the national level. You know, there's so much debate about, you know, fake news and facts. There's facts and there's truth and there's fantasy. And and some of these positions that these guys are taking are, are from some other alternate universe. They have nothing to do with what we really need here. Let me ask you. Um, and closing, I do want to bring in um, uh, Celia. Maybe you just want to come and join us um, and take a seat, and then you can we can phase into uh, what we're going to be talking about with you. Do we have? Um, yeah, 
we can share. We'll share this mic. But um, what what do you see on the horizon that can make a a more of a sea change like approach to um, a, accomplishing a better understanding of of the realities of what we really need to be doing. I, that's what, you know, inching our way or, or getting that little bit of a sales tax or, as you said, just buying time year to year, that's not going to get us anywhere. That's not going to change things. What will, it, what will it take? Well, I mean, we we need to rationalize our, our, our tax base. I mean, uh, we have way too much reliance on sales taxes, which which fall very highly on low low-income people. Uh, and so it's, it's not the type of, say, uh, of a tax structure that, that economists would recommend. But I would say our, you know, the, the sea change type of issue is I think, unfortunately, in some ways, we get the government that the people deserve. I mean, remember, I will t- Taylor Barra and Cameron Henry, I will guarantee you they are representing their constituency, the, pe- the, the districts that I they represent. I don't think their constituency has a clue. No, I believe that I, I, I know I, uh, those people, they are doing that because that's what their people want them to do. I think they're doing that because they've convinced their people that that's what they want them to do, not that those people really understand. It's just like the whole issue with Medicaid expansion. That was another one that drove me crazy. If you don't have Medicaid, what do you have? Sicker people going to emergency rooms costing the state much more money than if they have the money to go to a doctor in the first place and cut off a symptom before it turns into something that ravages your body. You know? So, I don't know. I have now with me who's joined us because I I really wanted to talk also about the creative industries. And I don't know how much you all are focused on it. I am extremely focused on it. And it is one of the top growth sectors of the economy internationally, not just here in Louisiana, but everywhere. And if there's anything that we have a branding competitive edge in, it is in our culture. And um, we still, again, are not focused on this the way we should be in this state. And so I wanted to... Let me, let me add one thing here is that... Please. Uh, if you, I told you that in general we haven't... Uh, been growing very much in jobs in the state of Louisiana. The two of the sectors that have been growing the most are um, arts, entertainment, recreation, accommodation, and food services, which includes, I think, a lot of the ones you're talking about. Well, the and, culinary arts are part of the creative Right. Well, but even it says, but arts and entertainment, so that yeah. includes a lot of the creative types are in that area. That's one of one of the few areas in, in the state which has been growing. It's it's uh, the last time I heard it was it was I think. Uh, almost tag team two to one with uh, with healthcare. So so are we? I, I, let me bring in Celia right now, uh, Pettisglow, because she is a quilt maker. She went through a program that my organization actually provided to help people better understand how to turn their creative talents into business. And I want you to tell tell these folks what you've been doing and how you've been trying to turn that into um, uh, business opportunity for yourself and people that you're associated with? Well, as a quilter, it's kind of hard to find your niche in quilting. you got to find the product that can work for you and that can sell and that's practical. And I am, there are some people who found that just that one item that they can make a profit off and that they can sell 
and sometimes that's uh, hard to do, but you just you need to continue to you find just that one product. And most of the time it's something that you like that you don't think anybody else likes and come to find out people said, oh, why you didn't do that a long time ago? So uh, the, the, when we talk about uh, finances, the other thing is that um, as everything else goes up in price, so does the price of the fabric, the price of the thread, the price of the batting. And it costs you so much to make that product that sometimes it's hard to recoup because people don't feel that uh, the price you're charging is what they want to pay. They'd like to pay less, but you can't afford to sell it for less because you don't even recoup your 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 profits. Well, even the, or the, even the cost of making uh, the items. But um, uh, tell folks a little bit about what you actually do, what you make. Oh, okay. Well, I I do quilts. I do a lot of uh, quilts about New Orleans culture and about store and stories. I take uh, African uh, stories and uh, put them into quilts. I also make uh, pocketbooks and quilted uh, jackets and um, the eye covers. And I sell the ones you put over your eyes at night to keep the light oh, out. Oh, okay, what a great night. idea. Right. And uh, I've been selling those at um, at local fairs and a couple of, um, can I name a company? Sure. Name? There's a place called Atiska Tasket. They've taken some of my pocketbooks to see how, you know, how they're selling. I find that when uh, if you can get your product into um, into the marketplace, uh, people can see them. And I find out that people that come to New Orleans, when they leave New Orleans, they want something different. They don't want NOLA on it or New Orleans. They just want something that boy, this is different. I got this in New Orleans. And it really looks like, you know, it comes from New Orleans because of the it's color. It's authentic. Right, yeah. And... Uh, uh, so you don't always have to use the uh, Flor de Lis logo, uh, the mu- music notes. It's uh, I think people in this area we have a different type of colors we like, and I think we kind of vibrate in that, just like with the food. And we got to put a little bling in. I'm a, I call myself an undercover Mardi Gras Indian because I love beadwork and so forth. But when you do your product and you put these on it. People are, are look at it and they say, "Oh, I got this in New Orleans because it's kind of uh, distinct for our um, our area." And as far as the culture of it, I think those kind of things keep our culture going, who we are, and how we present our colors, how we present ourselves, how we present our food. And I find out once we lose that, then we have lost who we were as a, as, as, as a people. You know, where else can you go with people to wear purple, green, and gold? You know, they, they, how many places you're going to go where they're going to have all the, you know, have uh, have uh, cottage shells and, and uh, sequins together? You know, and it makes it distinctly our area. And I find out when I put these little things on whatever product I'm using, they seem to sell faster than just, the plain quilted jacket, quilted pillowcase, uh, because they had that little extra. And I find that I think with uh, 
a whole lot of things. I don't know if you know Tracy that does the the hats with the uh, uh, the Soldier Waterboard logo and uh, and those kind of things kind of talk to people. And I think that um, what's important too is that you are focused on your marketing. Yes. And this is something that people in the creative fields have the most trouble with because it's it's not part of their training. Their training tends to be really um, uh, focused on uh, literally the, um, uh, the, the things that um, they think are going to sell but uh, may not necessarily be. Right. Well, I learned that from a workshop I took. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... Uh, that was that was very 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 helpful, and as I um, said previously, you have to find your niche. Once you can find that product that can sell for you, then you can do better than trying to copy somebody else's project or go with whatever else is there. Now we are in this state 39th in the country in funding for the for the arts. Despite the fact that, again, culture is one of our, as you said, top growth industries, Dr. Lane, and it's, it is an important part of, of our, again, our competitive edge. And marketing is one of the things that we have the least amount of money for. And um, one of the things that I'm hoping will happen during the next administration is figure out a way for us to find um, some new revenue sources. The, the money's not going to come straight out of the of city's budget, we know what the situation is there. But many of these other places that have um, made a commitment, a higher commitment to the creative industries have brought together industry, government, civic, community, cultural people to form alliances that then identify new ways of bringing funding into the market and helping people to literally attract people to their venues, to their products. And, and I mean, you're not the only one out there who's, who's figured this out, but a lot more people funding. need more marketing than they have the funds for. Not just them, myself included, and the place is trying to find the money to sustain yourself. You know, to be able to get the product, to be able to get the product out there, and especially when you're doing fairs, to pay for your boot assignment, and get, you know, and get that to get you uh, to market where you are, who you are. With Facebook, some people do it better than others, and I think that's always a um, it's always a challenge to you know to try to get your name out there get your product out there get people to know what your product is and want your product more than just once and um do you do jazz fest i demonstrate at jazz fest i don't um i don't sell at jazz fest as of yet i've been enjoying demonstrating i demonstrate quilting i have people uh come and i usually do a quilt that they can sign and the next year they can come and see the quilt and i find a lot of quilters from all over the world. You'd be surprised how many Japanese, Australians that really quilt. So I, by the end of the day, I'm usually a host because we're talking about, uh, about quilting. And quilting has become a very big industry. I mean, who would thought a pizza cutter can turn into a rotary cutter? There are very, a lot of people who are, uh, who are taking what we do in quilting 
and trying to find the easy way of doing it and producing it on that market. Now there's a cutter that can cut out your 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 squares and your triangles for you, so you don't even have to cut that out. So as far as we you know, talk about it, education and people in technology and engineering, those people are coming up with some fantastic things in the fruit world. So actually, that brings up a, a broader subject that I was thinking about too. One of the things that was in that report in that study about our economy is that we ha- don't we have a low level of invention patenting coming out of Louisiana. And and that's a state where we invented how to process sugar, how to get cotton out of the fields, how to pump water out of the streets. We've done a lot of inventing in history here. But why are are we not seeing more inventions being patented out of here? I get press releases from the universities to tell me about things that they're doing, and it sounds good, but... What's the problem there? Um, I, that's not an area that I really know a lot about. Uh, I mean, you know, we've, I work with the people down at the Bio Innovation Center where they're trying to encourage business startups, Idea Village. You know, so we've got some, we've got some, some things working to help increase that. But uh, I haven't seen those comparative numbers on that issue. I haven't either. Um, basically, you know, we deal a lot with skilled labor, so. Um, I'm sorry, we deal a lot with skilled um, labor and, and those types of programs, so I have not been privileged to see those types of numbers. So um, I, are your are the creative students in your school and in your school getting the business training and the technical training that will take them to the point of, for example, she's talking about, and people who have figured out how to do cutting machines, which makes a big difference in her being able to produce product. Well, I don't know that we've got that built into a lot of our fine arts and music and other type of uh, yeah, film and studios. We have a lot of we do a lot of that at UNO. I don't know that we have any of that built in. What we do have is we have a master's degree in arts administration. We're trying um, to help. Where we're helping people to, to to do some of that. Right. That's a really good program, but that's really training people to literally run arts organizations right. and run it's arts Not uh, for the individual uh, yeah. creative person necessarily. Go ahead, then. Sure. Uh, uh, lately, with uh, TV, with um, with um, with Facebook, with uh, YouTube, a lot of people have been utilizing that to talk about their art, especially to get exposure. Like, yeah, especially you can now you can go and get a lesson on a certain quilt on on YouTube. And uh, right now, um, I'm giving names out. Elizabeth uh, Townsend Gird, she's doing one called "Just Want a Quilt," and she talks to quilters uh, about what they're doing and. If you can get a if you get a large enough follower and get a sponsor for those, then there's other ways of making money. But that technology is really going uh, a long way. People will start out really small, and because I catch myself watching them all the time, even though you see a new technique or you see somebody you say, "Oh, I did that years ago. I didn't know that was in now." But uh, the technology now with the YouTube and the Facebook and uh, 
Twitter. So so what you're saying basically is that the social media to some extent is compensating for the lack of, um, you know, having real marketing and advertising dollars. Right. And not only that, it's, it's less expensive for you to be able to do that than have to go and, say, buy a program on TV or get somebody sponsoring your show. Yeah. You can do it. It, it. it makes a lot of sense because you can do that at a lot less cost. Mm-hmm. Then you would have to put out to really do that type of marketing, and then um, you put your you put your uh, email at the bottom so people can call you know can send for your patent if you make your own patent. So as we're coming up on the end of of, of our um, uh, time frame, I just want to make sure I'm not missing out on any gems of wisdom from our educators in the room as to. Um, you know, how we can, I keep using the word breakthrough, we can really make a, a more of a dramatic change in in how our um, young people, you heard, I'm sure, us talk before about how important it is for them to have the skills. Um, I, I, I taught a, a couple classes of part of a program that we do called Creative Futures where we try to train kids to understand better the opportunities in the creative industries. It's a, it's a career um uh, education program um, uh, that I wish we had a lot more of, and I wish I could figure out how to get the CTE program to, to um, uh, give us the accreditation that we need to expand it. But um, where do you see a, a, a real change points in what you're doing that would make a big difference? Well, I think the, one of the issues is, 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 again, the people have to demand this is an important thing. Uh, I've got a good friend that left UNO and went to Wayne State up in Michigan, and, and he doesn't have the funding problems that we have because because the, the residents in the state of Michigan believe in education and they wouldn't let their legislatures unfund it. Uh, Louisiana, we just don't value it as much. Our, our population doesn't value it, so our legislatures don't value it. So we, we need a change in our the attitude of our people. I would say complacent, mind, uh, complacent mindsets need to be changed as well. Also, I wanted to speak to what uh, she was speaking of earlier, just to put out, Delgado does not have a um, business management portion to some of our uh, creative skills, but we do have a Goldman Sachs program that helps to develop these small businesses to give them the information and the knowledge to go out into the industry. And it's free of charge, so we're on our... Um, Yeah, so we're about to complete and start another cohort in July, and um, it's an opportunity, again, for smaller businesses to come in and to learn the necessary things that they would need to go out for marketing and other things. But to speak to how we can, we have to be innovative as as higher education learners, uh, leaders, but we also have to be in tune and make sure that those people that we are electing to represent us on all levels of government. And I'm going to speak to myself because I am an elected official, and that's why I stayed out of the conversation a little bit earlier. But we have to be held more accountable as to what we're doing when we're sending people to Baton Rouge, to Washington, or to local government as it pertains to our children and to the to the future of this region and other regions around the city of New Orleans. Education, we have always been at the bottom of the list as a state, and it goes back years, previous uh, administrations, and and it's sad, but the cycle has to stop because of the fact that education is the key. 
but we have to also dig into how we're educating people and not force them into something that they cannot relate to and not tell them that this is the only choice that you have. So we have to develop career pathways that people would be interested in and go after these students in ninth and 10th grade instead of saying, you're not college material, so we're going to throw you off on the wayside. We have to go into these high schools to say, you may not be able to go into a four-year university, but we have a program for you on the community and technical side that can give you a good earning wage. And I, I just think that the, that there's apathy and complacency that we as, as leaders of higher learning have to continue to pushing against. And if and if you have your way, I think you'll achieve that. I, I, um, I, I can't resist. Uh, I want to call attention. I don't have an easy way to uh, tell you how to um, uh, access Julie Schwam Harris, uh, who has been doing some of the work that we're talking about in, in uh, pressuring um, uh, the legislators to do the right thing. But I am going to make it very easy to put some pressure on these four dudes <laughs> who, uh, if I can just put my hands on their names again, Baras. Taylor Bara. Yeah. Cameron Henry. Yeah. Seabog. Seabog. S-E-A-B-O-U-G-H. Yeah, those are three. They need to hear from you. All you have to do, actually, it's very easy. You can literally call the, uh, ask for uh, the legislature, literally, in Baton Rouge, and they, uh, the switchboards there will put you through to. And all you need to do is, is say that I want them to stop holding back on the taxes that we need for higher education. That message will actually get to that guy, and maybe it'll make a difference. Um, thank you all for coming in. Please keep me in mind as things develop. And, oh, yes, I'm so sorry. Um, one of the reasons we had um, Celia on is to talk about the event that's coming up. And um, I got her uh, message in the mail, in the stale mail of all things, and it's about the uh, Beecher Memorial. How do you say it? United UCC. Church of Christ. Um, here, you tell people. Okay. It's the Beecher Memorial United Church of Christ quilt show. It's free and open to the public. The ladies, we want to show our work every year, so we do a quilt show of our own. It's at 1914 North Miro Street at Saturday, uh, June, the, um, June the 23rd from 1 to uh, 6, and also Sunday. Sunday, June 23rd, 1 to 6. We're actually going to come out to, to see our work, and we are... Uh, getting cut off. That's what we are. But let me just ask you um, uh, one last thing. So um, this is uh, this is available um, online, also the information. What's the cross street? The cross street, uh, Allen and Annette. It's John, uh, uh, 1914 North Miro between Allen and Annette. And Annette. All right. I guess this is Crosstown Conversations. And um, uh, stay in mind also with these uh, wonderful opportunities at Delgado and UNO to come in and see what's going on and what the programs are that you might. Um, you, again, you pick up the phone and call the switchboard. They'll help you out. This is Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations. And I'm off.